Welcome to Papa Cultural Cake. I didn't think he was actually going to do it. <laughs> Not like he did. No, but he did. That's fine. Uh, like you said, with the Papa Cultural Cake, uh, I'm here with Steve. Hey! Well, that was so delayed. I'm here with Adam. I remember my cues. <laughs> I'm an actor. I have a theater degree. And we're here with Adam. Hello. And our guest and the the voice you just heard, uh, uh, kabooking it up, uh, uh, Matt. Hi, I, I'm Matt. I'm a weed. Uh, <laughs> and so, uh, here we are. We had a had a brief hiatus. Wow. That is. Um, <laughs> and uh, we're going to be talking about a couple things. Uh, we don't have an album this week, but we do have some of our favorite songs from some of our favorite artists that we'll be discussing. Um, also, we're going to be talking about Spider-Man Homecoming and how much we uh, don't like it or do like it. And then we have an interview uh, from some friends of mine who are in the LARPing community. And... Uh, I think that's, that's, that's generally what we're going to do here. So let's get started. Guys, what did you think about uh, Spider-Man Homecoming? Steve, start with I really enjoyed Spider-Man Homecoming. As is even, you know, sort of from our old episodes with Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, movies that I really, really love can solve problematic points. I think that's a fair, that's a fair statement to make across the board. But by and large, I really enjoyed Spider-Man Homecoming, mostly because it did not contribute to the Marvel Cinematic Universe like circling the drain of the Infinity War situation that we have in most of the other movies. Adam, how did you feel about it? Uh, it's interesting that Steve said that because while it doesn't circle the drain, I think it does enough to make me want to go, please stop. I'm, I mean, there's just enough Avengers hints and suggestions that I really was just like I just want to watch a movie about Spider-Man please please stop this uh, Matt you haven't seen the movie but uh, can you just briefly tell me how you feel about Spider-Man in general or maybe the Marvel Universe at all uh, I mean I guess generally speaking uh, I, I missed the whole wave on the superhero craze and I even managed to be late to like the one punch man party. So I'm not sure how much of a, how much of an opinion I can possibly have. Um, generally speaking, um, Spider-Man's okay, but like I, I've never delved deeply enough to really, uh, have enough of an understanding to give more than, uh, one or two cares about it overall. You're, TBH. You're, you're actually like the best Max surrogate you get. Uh, <laughs> like you're just hitting like no one's gonna fucking know your name starts with the letter M <laughs> and, well you know I, I, I did have a, a, a small uh, career as a cardboard cutout that uh, I haven't told my parents about yet so <laughs> um, I, I loved it I thought it was a good movie I, I, I can see where Adam's coming from definitely like, uh, there are a couple scenes that we'll get into. By the way, as with all of our fucking episodes, please know that there are going to be spoilers. I don't give a fuck. This is coming out so late anyway that <laughs> I'm not holding back. Uh, like, yeah, just like small, like like the guy telling uh, Happy Hogan, John Favreau's character, about Thor's belt and yeah. Captain America's new shield and things like that. I think that actually 
this may be nitpicking. You guys can totally uh, comment on it on how I'm, I'm being over overzealous and like this, but it really fucking bugged me that they put a timeline to this movie because the timeline didn't seem to fit. Like previously, every movie has essentially been in the year that it came out. Like that's roughly how they were playing it. Like Captain America had come, Civil War had come out a couple years after Avengers, and a couple years had passed. Uh, and in this movie, they flash back and then flash to the present, but it's like a seven-year span, which puts the events of this movie like sometime in 2020. But he just he just finished dealing with Civil War, so it really threw right. me off yeah. in that sense. Um, other than that, I liked it. I liked that, I liked that Mary Jane's not not Mary Jane in the traditional sense because I, I don't give a fuck about about her race being somehow like end all be all for that character. I do I don't like that Marvel's kind of backed up a little bit from that. They're like, oh, she's just a, her nickname is just MJ. She not she might not be a Mary Jane Parker. I'm like, well, don't be afraid. Like, just push forward. It's Disney. Yeah, I mean it, it's true. It's Disney, but of all of all companies, they have the Probably like the biggest cross to bear in terms of, of de whitewashing their 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 catalog in some way. Um, uh, Adam, can you expound further on some of your issues with the with the film? Well, I mean, I think you've already hit some of my personal vendettas against it, but I mean, overall, I think the movie is fun. I mean, it's Spider Man. Spider Man is always going to be the devil may care oh no look at me i'm cute and innocent and young and poor he's great he's fun to watch but at the same time it's just like please please disney please marvel keep us focused can we at least know what's going to happen or where this fits it's uh, it's more or less the same complaints i've had against the x-men movies it's just like i don't know what timeline this is i'm very confused well in 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 marvel's defense the the x-men movies are fox not disney and i am aware of that (laughs) yeah and and i've always found that with when it comes to x-men movies like the best way to handle it is to treat every movie like it's not canon except for the last that's the only one that they're going to address. Like, like, whatever happened in the last movie is what is what matters. Everything before that might as well have been in a different timeline. Um, should we be okay with that? Is that like, yeah, sure, great, thank you. Well, I mean, maybe not with the with the Marvel proper movies like the Disney ones because I I think we expect more from them now. But with the X Men movies and any 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 non Disney run Marvel property, I, I don't expect much. I have no faith in, in their handling of the property even with you know even with sony because this movie is not this movie is like a, a cross-production between so, sony and disney and yep and yep. sony sony was like oh boy we're really fucking up spider-man holy shit we should bring marvel in and marvel was like cool we love that we'll do that any day of the week right and no mo- no money had to get got exchanged um between the two there were no like we get an X percentage of this, X percentage of that, because Marvel knew that just having a character in their fold would be enough to secure Sony money and secure them money and stuff like that. Um, but Sony is, is like making me a little worried because they're still pushing for like a Venom solo movie and for a Sinister right, Six movie, yeah. and 
just things that are like really like fucky like ah oh, man i don't know if you guys are going to handle that right and I, and I love that they cast tom hardy as venom but still it's very concerning that there'll be like two two spider-man films in and then get really 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 confident and be like you know what we're not going to need uh disney's help anymore and then just really run the whole franchise down the drain again um yeah spider-man's been run down the drain more than we should ever have seen well, I mean, yeah, it wasn't like, it was like a little bit of upward take. Like, Amazing Spider-Man 1 wasn't the worst thing on the planet. It wasn't like... No, it wasn't, no. It, yeah, it wasn't Batman Forever and then Batman and Robin or vice versa. Oh, like, right God. Yeah. Steve, do you have Yo. any criticisms or do you just want to, like, fillet Spider-Man some more? Because I'm all about... Whoa, 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 Okay. Hey, let's keep my fantasies out of the podcast. But I would <laughs> like to share my number one good thing. And then I will go with my number one bad thing. I love it. Number one good thing about Spider-Man Homecoming, in my opinion, is overall that it's the f- it's one of the first movies that does what some of the TV shows, the Marvel television shows, have alluded to, which is it has dealt with the fact that, number one, a lot of the world is, for whatever reason, waking up with superpowers or, like, encountering superpowered individuals, and that there's a shitload of stuff that is happening in the periphery as a result of that, right? Like the idea that in the first Avengers movie, they like destroyed New York or whatever. The fact that like in this movie, they talk about like, yeah, well, a lot of people had to clean that up. And Mm -hmm. like now there's all this alien tech floating around on the black market and you know, this and this and this and this and this. And it like Peter Parker, young, you know, young, like tweenage Peter Parker in this movie is like, has like grown up in a world where that is reality and it has shaped the way he handles sort of becoming a superhero and becoming like a local superhero, sort of like the sort of hell's kitchen crew in the defenders, which just came out um, that their job, they are super powered individuals, but they don't run with the Avengers. They don't take out like, overarching alien threats but they still they're still heroic and i like the idea of making a movie that undoubtedly spider-man is going to get involved in the infinity war and blah and all that sure i get it but i do really enjoy that at least for this movie it was encapsulated enough that it was very much like you know this little kid yeah he has backstory bitten by a spider who the fuck cares pew 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 swinging around how far can you shoot your web ha 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 Jokes, fun, coming of age, pretty solid movie overall. Um, and I also watched it sandwiched between these like middle-aged women that were having the best night of their lives, watching <laughs> Peter Parker like smack into trash cans as he's like trying to oh, the- hold on to his web stuck to the van. Yeah. yeah, they were like the hooting and foot stomping and like anyway. I'm glad that they got out and had a fun time, Strange Women, in the Rhode Island movie theater that I went to. I don't think there's any other description of a Rhode Island movie theater that is possible. So So your biggest criticism, Steve, go ahead. Biggest criticism of Spider-Man Homecoming. It feels like you're very... It feels like you're like trying to build up like like you don't actually have one like you're just trying to be contrarian. <laughs> <laughs> my be- yeah. my biggest criticism is that I couldn't find anything I didn't like. No, my biggest criticism is one that the internet has beaten fairly close to death, if not killed, which is the fact that it kind of was an Iron Man movie. 
he was in it. He was in it not as much though, as the previews led me to believe. So no, but but that was that's sort of that the was... dynamic is that enough of the storytelling was. Spider-Man tries to impress Iron Man and learn some things about himself along the way. Yeah. And I feel like it made it, like Peter Parker didn't stand on his own very much. He like the development of the character was almost a background to like, "Hey, I'm Tony Stark. I like your hot aunt. Hey, ho, here's a new suit. Hey, look at me." And I, like me saying that made my blood curdle because I love I love Robert Downey Jr. And I love his portrayal of Tony Stark. I really do. But Spider-Man, I, I, I feel like they could have, like, used Tony Stark as, like, a cameo in the beginning when it's like, ha, 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 this is my video journal of me joining in the Civil War Avengers fight. And then, like, that's about it. Right? Like, the, his other insertions were kind of, you know, forced and kind of awkward and things like that. They didn't need to be there. I think it could have been a more interesting story without without Tony Stark as the driving force. Yeah, I mean, how much did you enjoy him coming out of that suit, though, when he was chastising Peter Parker about the boat, though? Right? Yeah, when he's like, you're not even here right now! And he's like, Oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, was... no, no. I, again, I love it, I love it, I love it, I love it. But I just wish Peter Parker's first movie, at least, he could stand on his own. Like, the new Thor-Hulk crossover thing totally all about it because number one thor is boring and i don't care about him number two i love 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 hulk well not hulk but uh banner mark ruffalo yeah oh is it mark ruffalo or is it dr banner Who it's mark it's mark ruffalo it, it's mark ruffalo yeah. <laughs> i just I, I just wanted to make i wanted to make sure it's because he looks the he's the closest avenger to brent whom my love burns for a thousand sons oh okay thank you <laughs> And there you, yeah, there you yeah. have it. I think what they're doing with Thor though is good because they're like really embracing that Chris Hemsworth is like a has a really good comedic actor in there, and yeah, yeah. and they're playing on the fact that Thor is really boring if you take him straight. Right. Uh, but him like the whole interaction, and not not to go on too much of a tangent, but the whole interaction in the trailer where he's like, "No, yeah, I won that fight," and <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's, that's really good. Yeah. It doesn't seem right. Yeah, no, it's like, no, definitely. I won it handily. There was no question about it. Uh, and that's great. I love that. But, um... <laughs> He's my friend from work. Yeah, I love it. No, I love it. I think... And I love that it all stemmed from, like, the, like Chris Hemsworth's Instagram, right? Like, when Civil War came out and he wasn't involved. Anyway, uh, yeah, no, I agree with you. But I think that... And uh, I love Robert Downey Jr., don't get me wrong. I love Tony Stark and how he's portraying uh, him, but... I do feel like that character is getting really stale now, in, in a way that that this movie highlighted for me that the other ones wouldn't or couldn't have. Um, like all of the con, like a lot of the conflicts that the Avengers have dealt with, and um, just Tony Stark himself have been like very Tony Stark created. Like uh, Ultron wouldn't have happened if Tony Stark would have just chilled the fuck out. This movie, the only reason that Spider-Man goes and handles the Vulture. Is because John Favreau, a Happy Hogan, and Tony Stark won't listen to him. Like you know, these are these are issues that he's been that he's kind of been brewing up himself, and now mm -hmm. other people are having to solve it. And I, and I can see that Tony Stark's character is trying to make it right, like in Civil War, but it's just creating more problems. Like 
I just don't know if I see the growth in that character, and it, and it really held back Spider-Man in this movie. I think that that he was having to to deal with Tony Stark on the periphery. So I agree with you. But you know, and I think that that's a real shame because the the sort of arc Tony Stark's character took. I think is interesting. I feel like that might be a little controversial, but I enjoyed him going from like cocksure and like, yep, I'm a cool guy to the initial just humbling that began the Iron Man saga as he goes from like millionaire or billionaire playboy philanthropist, inventor, scientist, you know, awesome dude to like, I have to carry around a car battery in a cave and build this suit out of a box of scraps. Oh God. Yeah. Um, and- and, and and I think that what we're seeing is like, like not the complete passing of the torch, but you're seeing like uh, I think Tony Stark's character is starting to run its course, and he's like now trying to you know pass on the lessons that he's learned. That's what the crux of the movie is about. But it, mm-hmm. Tony Stark's character, by virtue of like Robert Downey Jr. having to put be at eleven at all times, I think really hinders that because it, yeah, it's like no, I think it's yeah. Peter Parker has to like go through a lot of like leaps in logic to get to the lessons um, mm-hmm. that Tony Stark's trying to impart. And I mean, I really enjoy like I enjoy that part where he's like, "Hey, so, you know," he's like calling Spider Man. He's like, "Hey, you know, I'm trying to do more like positive reinforcement stuff, and I just wanted to tell you that I'm really proud of you and this thing you did." Like, ha ha ha, comedic moment. But I feel like using Spider Man's movie to develop an aspect of Iron Man is a disservice to Spider Man. Yeah. I would love if those bits went into another, into an Iron Man movie or like a big mashup movie where there's like a little arc where Iron Man is like trying to help the youngest Avenger. And he's like, you know, I just, I have a complicated relationship with my dad sometimes. I'm sorry. Whatever. Fucking great. But to like hijack the spotlight was silly, I think. Yeah, silly, but I don't know. I don't really what we're seeing here is that. I mean, what you're touching on, both of you, is that Iron Man sees in Peter Parker and Spider-Man himself. True, he wasn't bit by a radioactive spider, but he's a young genius who is inventing some fucking amazing tech, right? Like, he, all those web shooters and his suit, all these things are invented by Peter Parker. No, no, and, no, no, they're not. They're by Tony Stark. But that's, yeah, they're <laughs> supposed to be invented by Peter Parker. That's yeah. what's annoying. Right? Yeah, no, I agree. 100%. <laughs> he's sub- and he is overshadowing him. And when you say he's a stale character, yeah, it's because he's 10 years old and even Robert Downing Jr. is like, can we please move on from Iron Man already? But he'll, keep, but he'll keep playing him. I mean, makes a fuckload of money. Uh, yeah. that, is, that is an interesting point. Like, as we talked about with Logan, that, like, the character is aging like the yeah. concept of the character not the, the you know yeah like, yes. not the, the actual physical person but he is but yeah yeah but no that the amount of character development that you can sort of extract from that maybe that well is dipping dry and maybe and that's what this, i'm noticing yeah. personally but I, I feel like they can't they can't retire iron man like the sony folks retired logan that was fox i think that Oh, sorry. No, it's fine. That's what I'm here for. I think that I think that uh, potentially we'll see Iron Man die in um, Infinity Wars. Yeah, that that's almost guaranteed at this yeah. point. Yeah, but I'm also worried that because of the reality bending nature of 
of those stones that they might bring him back. But oh god, yeah, yeah. But I, I think that he will be one of the of one of the OG Avengers to kick the bucket. Um, well, I mean, it, it it just makes sense. How else are you going to pull back in Captain America, right? Like, oh, I mean, they don't even need they don't they don't need they need abs- <laughs> they need absolutely nothing to bring back any of the Avengers. Like this dude, big buff Josh Brolin, purple guy shows up. I think Captain America is like, okay, we can put a, put aside <laughs> our, our petty squabbles stop this man from bringing them planets onto Earth, like, uh... Okay, yeah, well, that makes sense. Also, yeah, also, if there wasn't even a, a very good logical reason, I, I really doubt they give a fuck, they would just bring him back. You know, in, yeah. With no effort at all. Um... Which is, again, like, the, the Nomad arc is kind of a cool thing that Captain America did in the comic books, where he, like, became disenfranchised with, you know, but whatever. And to just, yeah... They could either have Captain America be replaced by fucking whomever and leave Chris Evans. There are too many Chris's. Oh, my God. But yeah, it's Evans. Chris America to go <laughs> and, like, go rogue, right? Go off the reservation and then come in at a key moment and save the day with the Infinity Gauntlet. Yeah. Or, yeah. I think it's also interesting, again, to derail, but hopefully not for very long, that there is still such a power differential among the Avengers that, like, when it comes time to, like, fight Thanos, if that happens, like, what is Hawkeye going to do? Right, like... Die. There's... Yeah, right, like... Uh, like honestly, Black Widow's on that pile, too. Yeah, like... even, like, Iron Man, to a pretty solid extent, unless there's some, like, other objective, he's just going to get fucking, like, pounded I mean, no, right, for being honest, have... the only people who can actually stand up to Thanos in any significant way are the Hulk and Thor. Like, yeah. that's it. And Captain Captain Marvel, whenever she gets introduced. Yeah, and uh, what's his yeah. name? Vision. Yeah. Vision. But, but right? Vision But Vision has to die, too. Like, he has... Yes, because he's got an Infinity Stone <laughs> in his forehead. Yeah. I mean, he's not, they might not even die, like, just rips it out of his fucking skull and he, like, passes out. And everyone assumes he's dead, I, but he, like, has maintained sentience somehow. But Yeah, because who knows? He can do whatever he wants. He's yeah, literally yeah, a robot. Vision we don't know. manipulates, like, the space between atoms. He yeah, picked, we don't he, know. He we picked don't up, know what's up with him. He picked up the hammer. That was one of the most genuine moments, I think, in Avengers 2 when Thor has that brief... Uh, aside to Vision, where he's just like talking about how the hammer swings. It's like, yeah, if you don't do it right, it, it's a little heavy on the back end. Like that's the only moment Thor has as a character development moment. Go, go, go ahead, Matt. I, I mean, this actually is kind of interesting because it it brings us back to an issue that is, I think, very very common in in anime, maybe. Uh, most likely because of the uh, both issues have share this parallel of essentially running because they're commercially successful and they're going to run until they stop being commercially successful, right? So if you look at like the name, like, if you look at like the big three anime, right? Like, or at least the ones that were the big three, Naruto, Bleach, and One Piece. A lot of times, what happens is that like, or like Dragon Ball. Dragon Ball is like a, an amazing example of this. Is like you just get characters that just get outscaled by the ridiculousness of everything that's happening around them. Oh, you mean like Yamcha? Simply because, yeah, like, like Yamcha. Simply because whoever's writing things has to continuously up the stakes and make it mm-hmm. more threatening, and then has to pick characters who are going to be able to 
uh, within the capabilities given to them up themselves in order to meet their challenge, <coughs> right? So, like, people like Yamcha and Krillin just get, like, shit on and left behind, and, you know, they're, like, Black Widow and Hawkeye are just kind of, like, screwed, and, right, like, you, you end up in a situation where characters that I think plenty of people enjoyed during their heyday are now, like, completely devoid of worth because mm-hmm. they had to come up with a bigger bad guy, right? And they had to come up with a, with a bigger problem uh, to throw at whatever kind of group entity. And I think it's one of those things that maybe in this case happened a little bit... I mean, given, given sort of the, the proliferation of Marvel Universe stuff, maybe it didn't sneak up on many people, but like from an outside perspective, it looks like it almost snuck up on the more general audience because, because there's mo- their movies... And they're not like a TV series, right? So you're not seeing this happen week after week, and you're not hitting a point where you're like, "Oh, well, yeah." And now Cell is Jesus Christ. What is Cell, right? Like, or you mm-hmm. you you have such a so few installments happening over such a long time frame that all of a sudden there's just sort of this jarring, and now all the normal humans are fucking useless, like <laughs> kind of moment that mm-hmm. that occurs because of that. I mean, there are smart ways to curtail that, like like for example. Bring it back to Spider-Man. I think Vulture was one of Marvel's best villains. Um, he was he was genuinely threatening. He had a decent enough backstory that you like really thought that he thought that he was doing right by himself and his family. And I think that Black Widow or Hawkeye would have been a significant like threat to Vulture. I don't think I think I think it actually like because. Spider-Man was so inexperienced is the only reason Vulture had like any any chance. Otherwise, yeah. he would have been, been boxing way out of his weight. Um, um, and that's how you do that is you make you make characters who are threatening in their own right, but not necessarily world-ending, and you can give value to like a black guy, black guy, a fucking uh, <laughs> a Hawkeye, and a. And a uh, Everybody wants to take this to a racial place. I won't let them. Won't let them. <laughs> First of all, I did I did say black eye. I <laughs> but. Right, but Brent, like, even even taking that example, right, like, that villain who's essentially, like, in terms of power level, you know, looking through my scouter, is, is like... Is it over 9,000? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like, barely 855, right? Like, you know, he, he's, like, he's, like, C tier in the grand scheme of things, and therefore his threat, like, his threat level is literally just a product of the fact that he's part of sort of like a uh, like a like a middle or like a missing link kind of not origin story but like a link from origin into into uh whatever giant complicated morass they're they're kind of constructing here right so the only reason that villain works is because the hero is at a level where they haven't had to scale him up yet, right? Like, mm-hmm. Peter Parker is going to scale up over time, so they'll have to come up with things that are significantly more ridiculous in order to keep up with him, which is a different problem that I think appears in other, uh, in plenty of other media, which is, okay, in order to keep our villains threatening, we can't push boundaries too much, so we have to just keep coming up with new characters who need to go through origin stories so that we can continue to create reasonable, believable, and actually threatening antagonists. Yeah. Which it, doesn't really solve your problem, I don't think. And that's a function of the audience, too. Like, you couldn't tell a story. You can you can tell a story where the villain is essentially, the, the next villain is essentially the same power level as the previous villain. And it's, and it's enough of a threat, but people just won't take it there. Like, people will just be like, no, I saw Spider-Man literally whoop the dog shit out of Vulture. He should be able to take on 
this guy no problem. You know, this right. is yeah, because um, they want to see growth, right? Like not just like from a personality perspective, but also from like a power level perspective. Because... Yeah, but it's a very shallow growth, though. I mean, but that's yeah, that's sure. that's still the audience's fault. But not necessarily. I mean, the studio and the audience is a combination of both. Uh, I think Vulture was great. Uh, uh, I think his suit being as powerful as it was, not Vulture, but Spider-Man, was uh, back to the Tony Stark problem, really bugged me. Like, uh, it had too many web shooters, like too many, it had too much, it had too much going on. Like, go ahead, Yeah. Steve. No, I was going to say, like, you said that, and it was like... <laughs> It totally like it, it made sense. It was another thing that I that I didn't dig was that, you know, that it was just, it was so gadget packed and it had its own AI in it and things like that that I don't really remember from Spider. -Man. I don't remember from that. Yeah. yeah, it's not it's not in intrinsic to the Spider-Man experience. It was again. I think that was it. Is it's Tony Stark's influence? It's like a, it's another Iron Man, and that in turn I'm making these connections. I think might lend even more credence to to sort of Adam's point that maybe Iron Man is going to like step back and just make shit for everyone else and let Robert Downey Jr. like show up for 20 minutes, have a cool like science montage and then, you know, go back to his trailer. Maybe. Not that that's a bad thing, right? Like he's such a great personality that his that his robot suit sometimes takes a back seat a la Iron Man 3. So, yeah. Yeah, I think it's not it's Rob, it's not Robert Downing Jr.'s fault. It's the fact that he is the the original superhero, right? Like the Iron Man movies kicked off this entire series, and his influence over Peter Parker is, I mean, for me, it's like just stop. Peter Parker is a great character on his own. He doesn't need Iron Man telling him what to do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that I think that that really sh really shined when he got rid of the suit. Like he, he had to be in his his like fucking hoodie. There's a mm -hmm. scene. There's a scene where uh, he he's like he's like it's the it's the it's like the atypical like Spider-Man like in the comics and in a lot of other versions of the uh, of the of the, the Spider-Man mythos. There's always a scene where he gets trapped under a like giant thing. <laughs> mm -hmm. it is insert large object and he's like has to fucking do a push up and it's always like water is pouring around him his mask is torn but in this movie I, because I fucking I know I've seen it before so many times but in, it's the first time it's happened I think in the, the, the any of the film and his little his like little whimpers and his cries for help really brought back to me like oh this dude's just a kid yeah, yeah, yeah. And, it, and, it and, made we, and we can't we can't underestimate just how young Peter Parker's character is supposed to be. Yeah, and it really like really I think it was one of his like best moments was like oh this is just a kid like without without Tony Stark there to like suit him up and to kind of make him more adult than he is it it really gave me a moment to appreciate Tom Holland and this Peter Parker. Uh, so just generally, Iron Man is, is not ruining it, but is definitely like, like you're trying to enjoy a nice meal and somebody keeps putting fucking ice cream next to you, and you're like, well, can I just finish? Like, <laughs> exactly right. Can I just finish? I this? don't even like those delicious. Can I, can I just finish my fucking steak? Like, 
you, like, no, are you sure? Because I have more, like, ice cream right here. I can just put it on the steak, and before you have a chance to, like, say no, they've already taken a scoop and dropped it on your, your meat. And you're like, hmm, I don't know how I feel about this. Um, <laughs> uh, I think that we've, we've like, not, a, not run its course, the conversation, but that we'll probably have more chance to talk about the extended Marvel Universe and stuff like that. Uh, so, um, we're doing something a little bit different this week. Like I said earlier, we're, we're not, we don't have the full album, uh, because of how short notice the podcast was, but we do have some of our favorite songs from some of our, some of our favorite artists. Um, and I, what I'd like to do is just have everyone go ahead and take as long as they want to introduce their song. Uh, I'll start with Matt. Oh boy. Um, so I guess my song was hybrid rainbow by the pillows uh i mentioned i was a weeb earlier um i listen to a lot of foreign music i'm really heavy into french rap and japanese rock so uh the pillows i can attest that there's a lot of french rap going on um (laughs) so the pillows kind of like as sort of one of the god names of of japanese rock kind of came naturally into the equation and and hybrid rainbow for me is a really interesting song because i i think it it has a tone that that um, I guess like like the lyrics are actually kind of uh, I th- if I remember correctly because again it's in a language that I don't speak natively and speak only snippets of currently um, are actually kind of uplifting uh, but like. I can't shake this feeling when I'm listening to this song that if you slowed down the tempo, set it to acoustic guitar and sung it in like a cracking or breaking voice, that it would suddenly become the most tragic song I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. Uh, I, I enjoyed the song. I didn't particularly read the lyrics, uh, but that is an interesting concept because those are like one of my main, were one of my main complaints when we listened to bad out of hell was that, that the that the tone of the music didn't always didn't always seem appropriate for the lyrics, but I love the song. Uh, Steve, what did you think of the song? Oh, I'm so glad I got to respond actually, because I was exposed to the pillows from their delightful score of the anime Fooly Cooly FLCL. Those of you just reading the spines, um, and I forevermore like I watched it when I was. Uh, maybe like a freshman or sophomore in college and henceforth whenever i think about like growing up or coming of age the pillows is playing in my head oh god and it's oh it's so it's so beautiful it's like just any any time i think about like processing from teenager into adult i just i wish i wish so hard that every formative moment of my youth was scored by the pillows definitely <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, so what about the song in particular? Did you find any? Did you did you have any any comments about it? I uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that Hybrid Rainbow does is part of the score. Like so, yeah, the, yeah. yeah. Like they released albums. They were a real band, right? But a lot of their music was just like thrown, in, not thrown, but like artfully placed in this six episode on, uh, anime. Which, by the way, if anyone hasn't seen, they should see. Um, I, yeah, definitely. It's, yeah. it's completely out of left field. It's fucking bizarre, but it's it's good. Yeah, it's it's such a good gateway anime too because it's like, look, don't even. It's not full of a bunch of like overwrought plot or like 
too many feelings or anything like that. It is about a fucking kid who's uh, his brother, vaguely, a woman on a scooter, fucking robots, drinking bitter melon sodas with your friends down by the levee. Who friggin' cares? It's great. Yeah. I remember getting Bully Cully on a burnt CD from one of my uncle's coworkers. And my uncle handed <laughs> Michael handing it to me and going, I heard, <laughs> I, heard I, I heard you like anime. My coworker likes anime. He said you should watch this. And, <laughs> and it was uh, life-changing. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, that could have gone life-changing in a very different direction, so yeah, I'm glad yeah, it was yeah. fully Cooley. Oops. Yeah. Holy shit. It could have been Boku Nupiko. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't, no. don't Google that. Uh... <laughs> Too late! I honestly wouldn't know how to spell it. Sorry. There you go. Adam, any thoughts on the song? Actually, it kind of comes off my statement just now. I didn't really get it. Sorry. I think it's a fun song. It sounds nice, but it's the kind of thing I would put in the background while I'm doing something else. Because it's light, it's fun. You might be right. It might be horrifyingly... Terrible. I don't know. I don't know because I just I don't know what it, the content is. That's totally fair. Uh, so I'll, I'll go next. Uh, my song was "Light Up the Night" by the Portal Men. Um, and the Portal Men. That song. was good. Go I enjoyed that. Yeah, the Portal Men are uh, one of my favorite bands uh, of all time, and uh, they're like a gimmick band. And that's not to discredit them at all, but. Their whole run is that they're making a rock opera out of the Mega Man storyline, and they make it more, yeah, way more dramatic than than I think Mega Man ever was ever intended to be. But it's great, it's excellent. And in that song, um, uh, Doctor Light, the creator of Mega Man, has been exiled from his city uh, for a long time, and this young kid has finally convinced him to give a fuck again. Uh, and it, it's just really. It's like uplifting and, and full of hope and a call to action kind of song. Uh, what did you guys think? Well, I already played my hand. I thought it was awesome, and I really enjoyed its upbeat tempo. Yeah, I, I think it's... Um, so I guess just to like lay out how my brain works, because uh, it's a little out there, is like most of the time when I'm listening to music, I'm really not listening to what anyone is saying. I'm listening to the composition um overall so like how sort of the overall picture works and a lot of times i'm thinking about how it can be paired with cinematography which makes absolutely no sense because i don't i don't like do cinematography um but i think that like it felt like a very involved song i guess that's the best way i could put it is like um like i could see scenes playing out in front of it and and like that entertained me and made me a happy camper steve what I really enjoyed about it was, like, sort of your intro alluded to, like, the Proto-Man, like, is reminiscent of Proto-Man from Mega Man. It's a, there is a Mega Man theme through the composition, but it's not, like, there are plenty of, like, nerd rock bands that are like, ho Chocobo! Yeah. But the Proto-Man, like, made, a, like, made, composed a rock opera. And, again, like, the composition to it, it, it was reminiscent of meatloaf and sort of bat out of hell like it was epic composed like operatic rock about a nerdy subject matter but that doesn't like it wasn't 
it wasn't nerdy and self-referential, right. like sort of like a Ready Player One smorgasbord of like, oh, pop culture. Don't, but, don't, 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 don't get me started. On Ready Player. Oh my gosh! Next episode, though. <laughs> oh boy. Now oh. we know. Uh, yeah. yeah. Seriously, but yes. So, in conclusion, very, very well done, and acknowledging the subject matter, but without making it like the sole driver of the work. Right. Uh, Steve, go ahead with your song. Great. So I chose the. Um, I chose the song MFC by Pearl Jam, specifically with the untitled intro off of the Live on Two Legs album. So this was 1998. Grunge was big. Pearl Jam was big. Pearl Jam was drunk on stage a lot. But it is, I think, a great... I think it is is sort of a great song, because number one, I love live albums. And I... uh, Number two, I enjoy just the amount of fun that the band has playing that song. Like it's, it's, you know, it's sort of like a traditional rock group, but like in, in this particular song, like there's a soft sort of slow intro, then it goes into the song and just everyone's singing. Everyone's having a good time. You should look up live performances of it. The band has been around for like Jesus, 30 something years. And like from, from it coming out on yield, I believe it was the album in the early nineties up through like, you know, a couple days ago, this band will bust that song out and just have a good time, which I think is an awesome part of live music. So that's sort of the canonical live song to me. Yeah, I, I, I thought it was a really good song. I think that Pearl Jam has a very like consistent record. Like they don't, they don't make bad music. Like uh, one of the greatest rock bands of all time. Um, but I also, as I also personally, uh, I'm not a huge fan of Pearl Jam, but I like that song. I, 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 mm-hmm. It's one of those things where, like, I can appreciate it on a very like, no, this is this is very technical. This is not, not, it's not like technical death metal, but this is like very technically put together, mm-hmm. like really well composed. His 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 range as a vocalist is is not limited, but it is like it is Pearl Jam. Yeah, he has yeah. a sound. Yeah, yeah, and it and he fills it. But I but I think that He'll do it. Yeah, normally I really don't like live performances, but I think that uh, if I hadn't have seen, if I didn't watch it a lot, like the live performance of it, I probably wouldn't have liked it as nearly as much as I did. And I found myself, I found myself more into it than I was ready to be because I, I, I immediately saw his Pearl Jam and my brain started to shut off all the receptors. Like, no, 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 I, 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 I know. I know what this, what this is gonna be. Yeah, I know this what this is, is Pearl gonna, Jam. Yeah, I know. <laughs> But then I started watching it, and I watched it a second time, and then I watched it a third time, and, and it's not one of those things like, oh, yeah, you have to you really appreciate it three times. This is, it, this is actually just a me problem. Like, I needed, I, needed, I needed three times to really get over myself, and I enjoyed it a lot, actually. Uh, 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 Matt, go ahead. Um, I think, I think uh, I'm, I'm caught in an awkward... Well, number, number one, I'd never heard the song before, and I'm, again, like, my... Uh, my interests in general in like English language music like abruptly stopped <laughs> around like my sophomore year of college um, because I started getting really into French rap first and then J Rock after and like skipping all the Linkin Park and shit again. Um, and but wow. I think that like my initial thoughts were I really like Untitled 
Mm-hmm. I found the MFC side of it to be, I guess, like it didn't uh, hit me the same way. It mm-hmm. seemed, I guess, like the word that comes to mind is forgettable, but I feel like that's way too strong a word and way too combative a word, and, like putting it down, right? Like I thought, I thought that like the the intro that was very sort of uh, quiet felt much more efficient and felt like it had a specific. Uh, like more of a purpose to it almost despite not having a title um but i did like i I enjoyed the experience i just found myself having to listen to the song again just to kind of remember and make better impressions of what where i was at second half of it Uh, yeah i don't know (laughs) adam which which i guess is rewarding because i mean that's one of the benefits of being part of this group is you get to listen to things you wouldn't otherwise have thought were your your bag right so uh yeah brent i'm gonna have to come right into your team here it's just like oh god pearl jam (laughs) Uh, i mean it's it's weird though because i should like them like they they, they're they're part of my genre of music but I came to the party late and so for me 90s rock and metal were like oh god really you, you've strayed you've, you're outside the canon oh man it's like you watched a car crash 20 years after it's, it happened exactly and so that however again does not detract from the fact that this was a good listen uh i'm glad that steve shared it i uh, it, it's not for me though overall honestly mm-hmm. it's just like no pearl jam yeah. still isn't my sound well i mean for me pearl, like that was the thing was like i inherited a lot of my mother's musical taste and my mother bless her heart, like, learned about grunge a couple of days after Kurt Cobain had died, and was already was perpetually late to the party, so I grew up listening to this music, and now listening to more modern stuff, I have the, I feel the exact same way as most of the world about Pearl Jam that, like, they've been around for a very long time, but, whew it's, uh, it is not a, like as much as it pains, you know, to be flippant man, I wish you kept being drunk all the time you've, you've You've lost a lot of what made you great in the 90s, in well, my I, opinion. I mean, yeah, a lot of, I think that's true for a lot of musicians. Is that, and not to be like, oh, God, I really don't want to come off as, like, diminishing to the severity of, like, like alcohol lo- abuse. No, to, like, lo- alcohol abuse and loss of life. But yeah, if you, if you live and you don't, if you live and you sober up, like oh, however horrible that is, uh, your music changes, and it's not mm-hmm. to say that it's worse. It's just not what people. Oh yeah, yeah. It's not what people came to you for, you know. Right. Like Metallica, I love Metallica. I have a huge love, a lot of love for Metallica, but and I don't even hate like Death Magnetic and stuff like that. It's just that y'all are not y'all are not Metallica anymore. You are Metallica who has lived a life and has had their values change and their priorities change. And mm-hmm. and 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 what's unfortunate about music is that it is a living, breathing thing. But that when you make a song, it's a snapshot, and that that song ceases to grow and live and live and change. It's it's a snapshot of that part of your life. And so, like when I want to listen to Metallica, I want to feel those memories. I want to feel that snapshot. 
and you and the newer stuff from them doesn't fit that mold. It doesn't fit that need. The same thing applies to any band that, that really like outgrows its 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 popular roots. You know, like rest in peace to Chester Bennington. But like the last few Lincoln Park albums don't hit on a Lincoln Park like sound wave in my brain. They're just like Transformer songs now. Hmm. And, and you know, right? It, I mean, it is a rare band that can span decades, like the Rolling Stones or the Beatles. We saw we saw both of them evolve incredibly over time. Yet they managed to remain relevant. It doesn't work for everyone. No, and then you'll find situations where, like, you know, like Kurt Cobain or, or Freddie Mercury, where they didn't get a chance to to grow further. Uh, mm-hmm. So you so you have no way of knowing. So like the memory of them is is, is rose colored in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, That's true. Yeah. Yeah. But overall, I think all three songs were very good. I did notice that they were all like within the same like 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 sphere. Like obviously very different genres of music, but like uh, all bands, all all rock. Yeah, they all bent toward rock. Yeah, and if I were gonna throw one out, it would also be rock. So I'm curious. Yeah. I'm I, we, we're not gonna be able to comment on it once we've already heard it, but I'm actually curious about what you might have picked. Oh, I mean, you asked for a favorite song. By the way, that's the terrifying prospect for Adam. It's not a favorite uh, song. It was a song by one of your favorite artists. Yeah, I, yeah, I might have... Same problem. I may have worded it. I may have worded it poorly, but that was my intent, yeah. yeah uh, if I had to pick, and you probably have heard it, is Bruce Springsteen's Born to Run. Give me, like, nice. one, give me like one or two lines. I don't... I don't... Uh, that's the one that... Uh, the highways jammed with broken heroes on a last chance power drive. It's it is Jersey rock to its core. It's all about cars and running away from your problems. It's uh, it's a classic of the genre and it's his breakout song. I think Bruce Springsteen's one of those people that like has the same problems that we talked about, but somehow has avoided any, as far as I know, any outward criticism from his fan group, like his dedicated. Yeah, it's because he, again, he has problems remaining relevant, but he's just so cool and clean that most people are like, okay, whatever. We're going to keep buying your albums no matter what happens. Yeah, I guess that if you're, if you're like, stay, if you start clean, stay clean, it's not as big of a jump if you start fucked up and become clean. Right, whereas he has always been that guy where he's just, I mean, in 1975, he had a black man playing bass and rock and the saxophone he's that guy so he hasn't changed much in the last 50 years yeah uh i think that uh what we're gonna do is now we're gonna, we're gonna take a hard fucking left into that interview yeah. um that i, that oh, I man, what a great transition brent <laughs> no problem segways are my speciality uh <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to or I interview uh, good friends of mine, John and Tabitha. They are a couple, and they met LARPing. I don't think I mentioned that, or it gets mentioned in the interview. Uh, but they've been doing it for a very long time. Uh, and they have some interesting thoughts to uh, give us on that. Hey, it's uh, me, Brent, and I'm here with uh, John and maybe Tabby if she decides to talk. And I'm going to have a quick discussion with them. Actually, you know what, Ray? You could be in this, too, because you have LARP before. Uh, I'm going to talk to them about LARPing and um, what that's like and, 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 and 
just the culture that surrounds it. Uh, John, please give me a little bit of background about yourself and uh, how you got into LARPing. Um, well, LARPing is live action role play. And I think the most important part of that is role play, which means you're just taking on the aspects of a character much like an actor in a movie or a play. Uh, and you're doing it live in person as opposed to uh, in the manner that you would on a video game or at a tabletop situation. And I got in because I had friends who I did tabletop role-playing with, and they kept saying, oh, you got to try this out, you got to try this out. It's fun, you get to run around in the woods and beat people with foam sticks. And that kind of sold me. Uh, I like the idea of beating people with foam sticks and talking in ridiculous accents and attempting to be somebody I'm not. Yeah, and I mean, I think that's uh, that's like a, a good macro view of it, maybe a little bit reductive, because I know that there is a lot of regulation in the foam stick hitting part, correct? I mean, yes, uh, there's it's I mean, if you're going to be whacking on people, you need to have a sense of control. Uh, there needs to be a sense of rules. Now, depending on what system of rules you're following, that, that's going to be indicative of how hard you want to swing, how fast you want to swing, what does it take to make someone in character stop, and what does it take to make someone out of character stop. Uh, safety is always paramount. So that's, yeah, safety's paramount. Fun and, is always second to safety. And is that because you have such a wide variety of age groups and... and and people who are playing, it's not just a bunch of, you know, uh, grown men. It is a, it is a huge Absolutely. gamut. Absolutely. Um, you have kids. You have people well into their elderly years, whatever you want to call that. Um, and you have men, women. It's a very broad spectrum. And you don't want some 25-year-old energetic guy, you know, wailing on some some little kid or some uh, some grandma. Yeah. If anyone's understanding, uh, questioning about why we're 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 getting a little giggles. Uh, People are of, making noise when they shouldn't be making noise. Yeah. One of the ask them to be respectful. One of the potential uh, people I'm gonna be questioning here is eating some fucking Taco Bell, like a like a giant man baby. But that's okay. He'll he'll come in and he'll he'll defend himself in a few minutes. And and other people didn't quiet their cell phones out of respect. And also and also my dog won't shut the fuck up. So there's a lot of things going on right now. Um, uh, 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 tell me about maybe like maybe your the best uh, or your favorite um, story from one of your campaigns that you've played in. A, a little bit about your character or or the the story at large. Whatever you want to tell me, just give me a. A snippet of that like, like that's that's actually kind of hard because there's different elements that make up best parts uh some of them are nothing more than it's late things are ridiculous and in one of those situations i was i was in game tainted by a demonic font of magic and so the way that was being represented was i was supposed to be extremely angry and irritable and fly off the handle much more than my, my character normally would. And I was having a conversation in, in the, the, the tavern. And somebody across the tavern told me, uh, told me to be quiet they're, they're, because they were also suffering the same effect as me and they, they were choosing to be irritable. Uh, it was late. I was tired. And in one of those moments of ridiculous humor, uh, I, 
I tried to think of something to tell them that would be intimidating and, and express my, my utter desire and contempt for their death and destruction and my contempt for them as any kind of person. And words failed me entirely. And at that point, I did a quick scan of my surroundings looking for inspiration. And the only thing I saw was a loaf of, of half-eaten bread in front of me. And at that moment, I, I picked it up and I shouted, suck bread. And I threw the bread at them. And it was completely ridiculous, but it completely rendered the entire place quiet for about five seconds, followed by an immense amount of laughter as everyone else joined in the ridiculousness of the situation. And, and there's those moments. Just like there's moments where you enjoy almost the athletic feats of the, the foam sword play, where you get a chance to face off against somebody who has so many more in-game skills that they can use, so much more at their back and call, so to speak, and you still manage to outperform them and, and defeat them. And, and those moments are more than I can actually account for. I mean, it just, it just always happen. Um, so, I don't know. I, I like the suck bread moment myself. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, I think that encapsulates the fun. That's the whole reason you do it. You do it for fun. It's entertainment. Right. And, and, and to that point, I'm gonna, I don't want to dwell on this. Mm. Um, I want to briefly mention it and move on to the other aspects of it. Uh, you know, there is a lot of potential criticism from people who aren't in the lifestyle or don't have friends who are in the lifestyle about uh, uh, LARPing being an inability to uh, uh, to exist in reality or to, um, you know, maybe even separate the, the play from reality, that kind of thing. And, and that's not been the experience for me. I mean, I feel like everyone I've ever met has such a clear division because it is just a game. It's, it's 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 just a game, and and the thing is, it's anyone who does it and they don't, they are not able to separate, is immediately someone you want gone from that situation because it doesn't matter how much fun they may be having or even maybe helping other people have you know if you recognize that's going on, they are immediately a danger and they are immediately a threat to safety because they're not going to stop when it's important that someone stop immediately. When someone's footing is bad, when you see someone backing up into a situation while you two are fighting and you see that they're in danger of, of hurting themselves, you need to. it's your responsibility to step outside of that game and watch out for their safety just like it's theirs to do the same for you. So... It's also a problem if someone's going to say hurtful, demeaning things, saying, oh, well, I'm just in character, you can't get upset. There comes a point where, yes, it's understood, some games are a little more adult, some are much more family-friendly, and you've got to know what setting you're in as far as that's concerned. Mm -hmm. But you, that safety goes to emotional. social and emotional safety also. Right. You, you don't want to say harmful, demeaning things and have someone walk away seriously emotionally hurt. That's just wrong. Now, on that note, one of the things that I found is uh, in a couple of different LARPs, there are physical signals you can give if you are getting actually really upset that kind of let everybody know, okay, we have to back off the role play. 
um, because whatever's happening is actually affecting me as a person, not just my character, because some people get very, very into it. And sometimes, like, I've had a character yelling in my face before, and I was totally okay, and then I've had another guy just come up, and just the way he came up and, and the physical presence he was presenting, I was just kind of oozed out. I was like, no, that's kind of creepy. Let me back off. And so I gave the signal, and he took two steps back immediately, like, no offense given, and he's like, I did that really creepy, didn't I? I was like, oh, God, that was really gross. And he's like, oh, okay. So everybody was able to stay cool and chill. But there are, most LARPs have some sort of hand signal or physical sign. Or sound or, or call out. Word. Or sound or call out for, no, that's 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 too much. Let me back off. Yeah, I mean, and actually, I've, I've found, uh, you bringing that up, that more often in my experience, limited to me, and, and some of the, what I've been told, by the people I know personally, is that any LARP situation that involves physical confrontation at any level where you're actually making contact with another person, because there are plenty of LARPs that involve no physical contact. It is purely social. It is decided by uh, rock, paper, scissors is one of the ways that they will settle disputes. Um, is I found that there tends to be a, a, from my perspective, a more respect for another person's boundaries when you are in a place where you're making physical contact. Because I, I think that's just because you know you're going to a place where you're going to make physical contact, and so everyone's more respectful of it. Mm -hmm. I think when it's purely social, it, there's almost a similarity to, to, to the internet where you feel like you can hide behind the anonymity of, of the web or the anonymity of your character and say, oh, well, you can't get offended. I'm, I'm in character. Right. And so I, I think that applies as well. Well, in the, phys in the physical games, there is the potential that you may at one point be the recipient of too much. Right. And then there's that, there's where that respect might come Exactly. That, that balance, that, that sense of respect of another is, right. is more prevalent, I believe. And where I'd like to go to next is I want to talk to you guys about community, right? Mm -hmm. The community that, it's gets, important. that gets built around the LARPing. Because uh, I know that uh, you've met people, you've, uh, uh, in, yeah, for, you know, you, you two, uh, <laughs> Tabby and John being a perfect example, it's people who have been speaking so far, met each other in a LARP. Um, now we're engaged, and now they're so engaged. this stuff happens. And then uh, just unite. <laughs> just just <laughs> to talk about uh, talk about the community, what it means for y'all, what it means to your friends who are part of that the same uh, lifestyle. Well, I think lifestyle is a bit of an overstatement, but I don't think it's much of one uh, because it's you when you share a passion for an entertainment that's also. Uh, as involved and detailed as this can get in costuming, in character design, uh, in physical athleticism, if someone chooses to pursue it that way. And I've seen people who are impressive physically at, at, at some version of a LARP. Uh, it, it can become a, a hobby and it can even become more than that where it, it it gives you a commonality with someone that is immediately, you immediately make a bridge and a connection with someone and you're now able to communicate in a way, even if they're a total stranger, that is, is hard to do in other situations, I think. I think people, there's not many hobbies or, or, or similar situations, I think, that create 
that kind of close-knit connection, even if you've never met them. Um, not that I can think of offhand, if you have another idea. I think whenever you look at the LARP community, one of the things that makes everybody grow so close so fast is there is a certain level of ridiculous and a certain level of, I think when we walk out into the world, we kind of put on our mask and we kind of say, okay, this is who I am. And so we build like this little wall around ourselves that people have to get around to get close to us and get to know us. And so many aspects of the LARPing experience can be ridiculous and funny and silly and just tear down that wall really quickly for you. Mm -hmm. That I think that what ends up happening is you bond faster. Like one of my very best friends I met through LARPing uh, because the very first thing she did is she ran up to me and she hugged me. She's like, it's another girl. And she <laughs> hugged me really big. And I was completely freaked out because this total strange woman is hugging me. Um, and we've been friends ever since. So some of the ridiculous positions you get yourself in, like whenever you're standing out in the woods with someone for 30 minutes waiting for, you know, to, to be the, you're the bad guys waiting for the good guys to like come and attack you. I mean, you can't just stare at them for 30 minutes straight. You kind of start talking and those walls start coming down a little faster, I think, because you're gone for an entire weekend with total strangers. You might as well talk to somebody. You might as well laugh with somebody. Um, somebody's going to fart in their sleep whenever you're in that cabin. I mean, you have <laughs> <laughs> those embarrassing things that we try to like keep in just come out at a LARP, whether you want them to or not. So. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot to be said about the absurdity of something uh, piercing through all of the social constructs and shields Ab that we yeah, put up. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, if, if there was one thing uh, that you would want to tell someone uh, who was maybe thinking about starting a LARP, what should they look out for? What, what, what should they invest in? Because from my perspective, LARPing is almost like this amalgamation of every hobby. You know, if you're a knitter, you could use that. You know, if you're um, into metallurgy or whatever, you could use that. If you're into working out, you could use that. It's definitely a DIY heavy event. Um, the very first thing I would say is determine whether you're okay with an adult game or if you need a family game environment. So um, if you've got kids, obviously you want a family game environment if you're going to bring the kids. If you're like, no, this is my escape from the kids and I'm okay with adult content, um, being set around me, then an adult game may be your preference. But the very first thing I would say is you need to pick that because every genre exists in both realms, but going ahead and deciding, do I want family friendly or do I want adult is really important first because they even have family friendly horror games. So then the next step I would say is pick the genre that you're just in love with. I mean, there are people who are completely down with vampire and they want to play vampires and that's their game. Um, there are people who are completely into fantasy and they want to dress up like an elf or a dwarf or, and that's their game. Um, and then once you've picked your genre, then you need to go in and decide what's in your area and that will kind of help you decide whether you're going to end up with a physical or a non-physical LARP. I think that's like the least concern that you should have um, because even in well, physical unless, LARPs... Unless you have a medical issue. Yeah, because even in physical LARPs, you can have a lot of fun and not participate in any of the physicality. Right. So I would start definitely with the, you know, what kind of content are you looking for? Yeah, I'd say content and, and the social structure of the game 
uh, it, that she mentioned the the family versus more adult natured, and and I, most of that's just in language choice and 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 content of of what will be discussed. I'm not actually speaking of adult adult. Yeah, it's just like whether or not there'll be a lot of gore. Or, right, exactly. Right. Like, gore, cussing, those yeah. types of things. Yeah. So just you're just that was it. You're just gonna. Uh, double up on what you I, said? I really am. It's been a discussion we've had years to have, so it, it's. I thought she said it very well. All right. Uh, thank you guys so much for your time. I really appreciate it, and I hope that anyone out there who listens, whoever, four of you, would, if you're thinking about... <laughs> hey, 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 it might be six. It might be six. <laughs> if you're thinking about LARPing uh, and, and you're in the Houston area, shoot me a, tw- a tweet or a twit, and I'll see if I can pass on any more information to you. Uh, thank you guys so much. Yes. Thank you. And we're back. Uh, so I, I do know that not all of us got a chance to listen to the interview, but that's not a, not a huge thing. Uh, Steve, what did you think? So I, as I, as, as it may or may not actually make it into the final cut of the podcast, but uh, I do actually have a theater degree, and I like, at the very least, have hung out with a lot of people that act like. Act. We get. <laughs> we get it. You're actors. <laughs> exactly. Um, and so it was interesting to see a lot of the parallels there about both sort of acting, devising, which is the act, which is the like the the process of creating a a play as a group, and then like improv and stuff like that that come into that come into the LARP scene or come from the LARP scene. And the idea of how, as adults, we play pretend still. Like, uh, uh, there's a playwright who has a very good quote about sort of playing is how children learn to interact with the world. I'm paraphrasing, of course. Um, And play is something that we abandon as something that children do. But in reality, we all need to play. And we all sort of need to in some way, shape, or form, exercise our imagination and sort of, like, engage in these hypotheticals to better understand ourselves. Yeah. And something that, I, that, I, that, I, that I'm going to expound on briefly before I hand it over to Matt is that something that I didn't touch on too much was, like, the stigma around it. And it really it kind of bugs me because it's the same stigma that all, all of us face as tabletop players and that there's this idea that we're escaping reality in a negative or like unhealthy way and i just can't get my head around like why like why is that a a rhetoric that has to get put around you know what i mean like we it is just it's just play (laughs) it's just a way to exercise parts of your brain that don't get exercised normally you know um i think that's a that's a really salient point that it that it is just play it is a way to expand and grow ourselves that may not may not happen in our day-to-day lives uh matt what did you feel about about the conversation um i thought the conversation was interesting i think there again yeah i i agree there's a there's a pretty significant uh social stigma that surrounds LARPing. um that to the to an extent uh that like table toppers will sit there and you'll say oh do you LARP, often you, they're asked like jokingly by the person who looks down on all of role-playing and 
like I've been defensive about it before. Like, no, I don't associate with that. Right. Like, and now we're with where I'm at, you know, older, older, wiser, hopefully more rational Matt on occasion sits there and says, like, this is the same, right? Like those sorts of stigmas are the same thing that comes up when I have to like try and explain the fact that I, I like, I'm an editor for an esports league. Right. Like, it it's kind of it, it it just gets me angry because it's like who the fuck are you to tell other people what is and isn't a worthy use of their free time you know and um i i think that like the the thing that that kind of blows people away is that like you sit there and you're just like oh they're just you know playing pretend with styrofoam and shit and like you listen to the interview and you get a sense that in almost every way, this is a role-playing game. It functions under a very specific set of constraints and rules. There is etiquette that accompanies it that is in some ways derived from, but also is very distinct from sort of the tabletop environment. Uh, and, like, that it's just, a, like, as with so many fucking things, it's just so much more sophisticated than whatever the hell the initial impression would lead you to believe. Um, and I think that that was kind of eye-opening and, re- and really, um, I guess, uh, thought-provoking in yeah. that regard. I think that the interview can, can essentially stand on that. I, I, I don't think we need to really get into it much more, but it is something that that, that faces. Like a part, of the, part of the thing that I want to address with Pop Culture Cake is like trying to remove some of those stigmas, trying to look at the people behind the things that we do. Um, and I, I, I don't know. I just really enjoy that other people enjoy things. It doesn't have to be role-playing or LARPing or eSports. It could be fucking collecting stamps. Like, I don't... I really don't give a fuck. Like, if you are happy, be happy, be safe. And that's it. Yeah. Uh, now, moving into, like, our final segment. Uh, guys, what do you... Tell me about something that you are listening to, watching, reading, playing, anything. Uh, that our viewers or that each of us might enjoy. Um, I'll start off with Adam. Oh, uh, well, okay. Uh, listening to, I, I listen to a lot of audiobooks because that's how I, you know, walk around or drive or exercise. That's my background music. And so what I've been listening to lately, and I talked to Steve about this briefly, is that there's a group of physicists who made a webcomic called Piled Higher and Deeper, and they just published a book that is a popular physics book, meaning they take really, really, really complicated things and tell them in fun and interesting ways. And their book is called, uh, We Know, We Have No Idea. That's the book's title. And so I have been really enjoying delving into something that I normally don't touch, which is physics, because... I'm a, in the humanities, and we we are the the boundary setters, not the people who figure it out. And it's Steps been really fun, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's been really fun hearing them say things like, "Hey, we have no idea. The Matrix might actually be a logical explanation for why we're all here." And I was like, "Why you guys have definitely started touching philosophy? Good for you." Yeah. Damn you, Baudrillard! <laughs> so that's that's what I've been listening to the last few days. Cool, Steve. You. 
All right. So I have just finished a pair of books by, I think, M.R. Carey is the author's name. They're called The Girl with All the Gifts and The Boy on the Bridge. And they are... Um, I'm going, I will try not to spoil them, but also sell them as best I can. So they are sort of post-apocalyptic books, very sort of uh, not unlike zombie apocalypse situations. But the stories they tell, number one, are sort of dripping with humanity in it, which is always, you know, to sort of quote uh, Ben Wyatt from Parks and Recreation, you know, it's, it's real human stories told in the fantasy universe. <laughs> it's, a, it's a crossover hit. And it's, um, it sort of takes, it takes a lot of the tropes of the zombie genre of media and sort of subverts them, turns them on their head, or explores the fringes of them in a way that made for two very satisfying books, uh, in my opinion. So I would highly recommend that anyone who's interested in, uh, in that sort of media, go right to your local bookseller, pick them up, audiobook, uh, Kindle, what have you. All right, Matt? Uh, let's see, man. Uh, in terms of media consumption, uh, I guess, um, man, like, what, what am I, what am I doing with my life nowadays? I, I did watch a, uh, Matt breaks down sobbing. But, no, I'm just, I'm, I'm oh, doing no. a lot on, on my own writing nowadays and I'm getting prepped for a big, a big D and D campaign. Uh, that we're running in the house, um, so that's that's a whole thing. Brent, you uh, traitor! What? Uh, <laughs> Adam, I have bad news. I also have a side piece D and D campaign. Why am I the only one who doesn't have friends? <laughs> <laughs> we all like stare awkwardly at each other. And, like, <laughs> 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 yeah, I, yeah. Adam breaks um, down sobbing. <laughs> yep, I, I did watch. I forget what it was called. I think it was called Mifune, but I, I watched a documentary about Mifune Toshiro yesterday, uh, who was uh, for 16 straight films, I believe, by Akira uh, by uh, Kurosawa. He was he was the lead man in them um, mm-hmm. and worked very uh, very well on uh, a lot of uh, Kurosawa's best films like uh, Throne of Blood, Rashomon, and. Uh, Seven Samurai, and um, kind of just sort of this... Uh, I, I wouldn't say it was the greatest documentary in the world. It had some transition problems and um, so on. But it was very interesting to see, right, again, to get a, a window, particularly through personal accounts, um, into this guy who really had this kind of larger than life persona who like ended up in acting because he applied to be a cameraman's assistant and like somehow they passed his resume on to the acting side of shit. And like, he just kind of ended up in it. Um, also Keanu Reeves did like all of the, all of the narration, which was awful. But I was going to say, why, why would anyone do that? I so have, bad. I have such a huge soft spot for Kennedy's that I will not participate in this slanderous. <laughs> like. no, it, it was just like, I mean, I haven't heard Keanu Reeves do a lot of voiceover work, but it was very awkward. Um, and yeah, that, that was like the, I was like, that's honestly, it has its small quirks and issues, but like really they, like if they had, uh, 
I was watching All, All or Nothing, which was a series about um, it's an NFL series about where basically they follow one team through their whole season. That's narrated by John Hamm, and that is fucking glorious. John and I'm Hamm. Just, and I'm just sitting um, there like, come on. You know, yes, like, come on. I'm, I'm going from John Hamm narration to Keanu Reeves narration, and it was just a rough time. Um, but yeah, uh, definitely a documentary that's kind of worth watching, um, despite its flaws. I think it's so, on Netflix, right? Yeah, it's on Netflix right now. I believe it's called Mifune. Uh, awesome. I'm I'm uh, gonna go uh, not traditional media. I guess I've been listening to this podcast called uh, My Dad Wrote a Porno, and it is these three British friends uh, who sit around, and uh, the main guy reads a pornographic novel that his father wrote, and they sit there and they just shit on it all. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing it's great and and they're all comedians or that if they're not comedians they're fucking hilarious they they really are nailing uh and, and it doesn't it doesn't hurt at all that the books are terrible like they're genuinely bad and, and just seeing like the interplay between them as friends and occasionally having to remind each other that this is his father writing this stuff uh under <laughs> under the un, under the under the pseudonym rocky flintstone uh, <laughs> oh wow! That's, uh, that's extra special fun. Yeah, to give you an idea of how of how crazy it is. Um, it, it's a great podcast. You can find it wherever you find podcasts like this one. Uh, but they're in their third. They're in their third season, which means that they're in their third book. So I would definitely recommend going back. Wait, how many books did this guy write? Well, he he wrote one, and then he wrote two more, and and while he was writing the second and third one, they decided to do a podcast on it. And got it. So these three books are the ones that were unaffected by the podcast's popularity, but Rocky Flintstone has written several more. <laughs> oh, oh, well, now we know. I was going to say, what are they going to do once this runs out? <laughs> yeah, uh, and you can find other pornomo books. Yeah, it, it, and you can uh, find the podcast wherever. You can actually buy the, the book itself on Amazon, and the book is called... No, that's that's okay. The book is called Belinda Blinked, uh, and it's, it's, it's hilarious. It's a real good time. <laughs> <laughs> and with that... I might just do the podcast there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's definitely a podcast you don't want to listen to uh, over the speakers. This is definitely a headphone podcast. Um, <laughs> oh, you did. You did mention it involves a porno. So. This is true. <laughs> uh, and uh, give you like a, I, 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 like a brief summary of like the books. She's a pots and pans seller, and all of her sexual ex- <laughs> all of her sexual ex- all of her sexual escapades deal with business dealings related to her company. Uh huh. Yep. Yeah. Naturally, of course. Yeah. Business yeah. uh, rough. Oh yeah, rough. And. Very explicit. Uh, and with that, with that said, uh, this is just another episode of Pop Culture Cake. We'll be, uh, we have fun. Uh, we're going to be uploading up episodes soon, uh, so don't, don't fret. Uh, of course, by the time you hear this, those will have been uploaded. So I don't know why I said that. Uh, uh, Matt, if, if you want people to find you, where can they find you on the internet? Uh, on the internet, you can find me on uh, Twitter at ehyungnim. E h y u n g n i m. It's an awful Korean pun that took way too much effort. Don't ask. Um, 
and you can find me on YouTube where I'm like doing some vlogs on esports as history um, at Hyungnim Academia uh, on YouTube. Uh, yeah. Steve, Adam, I'm gonna go ahead and just combine you two. Are you still lacking presence? Yeah. Oh man, don't worry, guys. I actually made a Twitch account. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can watch my uh, watch my first archived stream. Oh, that's right. I didn't archive I'm involved the... with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, I didn't archive that one because I didn't know how yet. But my first archive stream is me like gently caressing your eardrums while I play near Automata on the PS4, which is great. It's about uh, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a whole thing. And then, yeah, if Adam and I ever tool around playing For Honor or something like that, I'll stream that, too. Or requests, or fucking whatever. I currently have one subscriber, and maybe, like, five people watch it. So, this is it. This is going to be my big break. Maybe I'll make a YouTube. Maybe I'll make an Instagram, or a Twitter. Who knows? Bring me out of my shell, America. The floodgates have opened. I mean, if you want to come out of your shell, you need to play XCOM 2 and do what I did, which is make all of your friends as your XCOM soldiers. Uh, because and then you have to play on Iron Man because otherwise what happens is like the experience gets too visceral for you and you start to just like save scum the shit out of it and you cannot do that you have to just watch them die you watch oh, your friends God. die like feel yeah. your heart breaking as Brent just gets gunned down in a hail of machine gun fire after <laughs> missing a shot at a ninety four percent chance of making this this doesn't yeah. sound like a rewarding experience it was damaging it was legitimately damaging yeah. <laughs> XCOM played XCOM not 2 but just XCOM 1 enemy unknown or whatever holy crap it's awful it hurts man it hurts. <laughs> oh, wow. I put like 300 hours in man it hurts it was a particularly <laughs> rough day for me when I died uh... yeah they they just, you start them out as they're just recruits, man. They're just green. They're unseasoned. And they fucking come back from one mission, man. And you're like, all right, we're going to make it out of this one. And then they die. They never do. They don't come back. Oh, I'm sending them to their deaths. This is horrifying. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> See, I don't this wanna, is why I don't we play like pretend this. games. Yeah, this is why for <laughs> honor so is emotionally a thing. We're so as a result. <laughs> Well, you, oh, don't, no. you don't mourn your Knicht when he gets cut in two. Whoa. Oh. Also, for those of you playing along at home that want to find this Twitch stream, I have made a tiny URL. Tinyurl.com slash steve-stream. Boom. Wow. Boom. That's extra even, Yeah, it like rhymes almost. Yeah. You guys can uh, find me on t uh, Twitter and Instagram at Bortnews if you don't know how to spell it. Uh, that's it for this week, guys. Uh, we'll see you soon. Yo! <laughs> All right, Kabuki exit, naturally. Uh, <laughs>